Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I will make a note about something uh, Chuck said. Uh, every, every, the last Sunday of every month, except this month, uh, there is no what's next today. Uh, you guys are probably doing well just to get here today. Uh, we hope you all had a good, uh, good Christmas, that you're able to spend it with friends and family. And yesterday was a long day, and so we're glad that you have made the choice to be with us today. Uh, if you've got your Bible, go with me again to Psalm number 91, Psalm 91. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along with us, there are Bibles that are in the chair racks there in front of you. And if you don't know where to find stuff in the Bible, uh, you can find Psalm 91 beginning on page 497 of the Bibles that are there in the chair racks there in front of you. Of course, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like to walk off with that one, by all means do so. Uh, we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word and you can, you can feel free to take that home with you. Keith Richards, for those of you who are uh, a little older, was the, is the lead guitarist for the Rolling Stones. Now, for those of you who are a little bit younger, you probably don't, you're the Rolling Who. Uh, that's an ancient rock band from a long time ago that happens to still be going, but you might know him as being the inspiration for Captain Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. However you may know of him, Keith Richards, many years ago, was sitting in an apartment in London. He was sitting next to the window and he was looking, as he was looking out over the city streets, he saw that there were some storm clouds gathering. And it was one of those storms that all of us have experienced at one time or another where, where it's sunny one moment. This is especially true in Florida. It's sunny one moment, and you blink, and then you look outside, and there are dark storm clouds everywhere. And it feels like it's, it's the evening in the middle of the day. And as he sees these storm clouds coming in, he sees that, that it just unleashes a, what seems like a monsoon on the citizens of London. And he's looking out and he's seeing people running for cover everywhere. People are trying to jump into cars. They're trying to get under awnings, stand in doorways, overhangs. They're, they're trying to escape getting soaked and he's wa as he's watching all these people run for cover, his guitar is nearby, and so he picks it up and he starts strumming it, and that song became a song called Give Me Shelter, which is the lead track on one of their uh, most successful albums. That song contains lyrics like these. It starts at the beginning. It says, a storm is threatening my very life today. If I don't get some shelter, I'm going to fade away. And the chorus, which probably many of you have heard before, is war, children. It's just a shot away. It's just a shot away. That song, which was originally inspired by a rainstorm, was penned in the turmoil of the 60s. And because of that, it became an anthem of sorts for people in all of the unrest and the turmoil that they were experiencing. Now, of course, the names and the places may have changed, but many of the situations remain the same. We still feel that. 
At various times, we still feel the threats around us as we inhabit a broken world. We feel the threats of sickness, crime, a new thing that we have to worry about is supply chain uncertainty. It's amusing to go to, to Walmart or Publix and see that the shelves are empty for a day. But, but we worry, what if, this is, what if this is what it becomes? What if those shelves are not just empty for a day? What if they're, they're empty for a week or a month? War, it does feel like, whether it involves us or doesn't involve us, is just a shot away. And of course, we feel threatened in a number of small ways too, a thousand small ways that we feel exposed to the elements. We feel like we are in need of shelter. One of the great promises that God gives his people in the scriptures is that he promises us a place where we can run when we feel exposed and vulnerable to the difficulties of life. Last year, I finished the year, the last sermon of the year came from Psalm 90, which was a meditation on the shortness of life. This year, I'm finishing in Psalm 91, which is a meditation on the shelter that we can find as we make our way through a life that could be described as unstable and uncertain. We're going to walk through this psalm, and there's enough verses in it that we could never cover each one of them sufficiently in one message, but we're going to read through it together, and as we read through it together, I'm going to make uh, comments as, as are needed along the way. And there are several ways that you could divide up this psalm, but we're going to look at it simply along two lines. The first part of this psalm, which is found in verses 1 to 13, I'd like us to see the security of those who run to God for shelter. The security of those who run to God for shelter. And as we're about to read in a moment, this psalm begins with an affirmation of trust. The author of this psalm begins by affirming their trust in God amidst the difficulties of life. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. You see that statement of affirmation? I, I'm choosing, as I look at the uncertainties and the difficulties around me, I'm choosing to look at the Lord as a place of refuge. I am looking at the Lord as a place, as a fortress. I am looking at him as a God in whom I can trust. And the Bible uses interesting imagery to describe this shelter. It says I'll, that you can abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The Hebrew word that's used here for shelter 
doesn't just carry the kind of connotations of, of, a, of an awning or something that you can get under when it's raining or to escape the heat of the day. The connotation in this word is the idea of a secret place, a hiding place. The shelter that's being discussed here is the, the kind of place that you can go and not be found. The kind of place where, where you can go when trouble comes. And so the psalm begins with a statement of trust. And after that affirmation of trust, after that statement of trust, it moves into giving examples of the kind of security that is available for those who run to God. And what the author of the psalm is going to do is almost lay them out like they're cards, example after example after example that builds the case for the kind of security that we have. He goes on in verses 3 to 6 to say this. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. He begins again in verse 3 by talking about being delivered from the snare of the fowler. A fowler is a person who is able to catch birds. And I want you to just think about the difficulty of that task. If, if somebody told you that you needed to go into your backyard this afternoon and just catch a bird, would you do it? And, I, and note, I did not say, I know we're in Clay County, I did not say shoot the bird. <laughs> I said catch the bird. How confident are you that you would actually be able to catch a bird? It seems like an almost impossible task, and yet there are people who are able to do exactly that. Uh, many of us in our church have taken trips to Brazil, and when we've gone to Brazil, and when we're in the interior of Brazil, in the middle of nowhere, we are in these small villages with, with dirt huts and thatched roofs, and as you're walking through some of these villages, you'll see these beautiful bird cages in the front. And these bird cages are not the bird cages that you order on Amazon and have Although now that I think about it, it's kind of in the Amazon, so that would make sense. But <laughs> you can't, that's the, in the Amazon is the one place Amazon doesn't deliver, uh, weirdly. Uh, but anyway, they have these bird cages that they have made. And they're, they've assembled these things using sticks and things that they have found around them. And they're beautiful. And not only have they made these beautiful uh, bird cages, but they've, they've filled them with exotic birds that they caught. That's a skill to be able to do. A skilled fowler is able to, to trap or snare their prey. And our psalm is telling us that we can be delivered from the snare or the trap of the fowler. 
It also brings up the idea of deadly pestilence. And we, we thought deadly pestilence was something that we didn't have to worry about. But here we are. Pestilence, deadly pestilence is something that used to happen that we read about in history books. Or if it does happen, it happens in other places, but it doesn't happen here. Pinions, he, he uses the, the language of, of, of pinions. He says he will cover you with his pinions. And we've talked about this before, but uh, on a bird's wings, the pinions refer to the section of that wing after the last joint. And so we, you've probably seen pictures of, of, of birds being able to spread their wings and especially mother birds being able to spread their wings and cover their young to provide shelter for them from the sun or from the rain. The Bible characterizes God as doing that for us. The Bible says that God's, God is, is like a shield and a buckler. A buckler would be a, a smaller shield that would be worn on the forearm, whereas a, a larger shield is meant to protect the entirety of the body, maybe from arrows that are flying. Uh, a buckler was, is more used in hand-to-hand combat as you're parrying blows of somebody that's coming at you with a sword. A sword. Verses 5 and 6 tell us that we don't need to fear the dangers that come to us by day or by night. Okay, there, are, there are the dangers of the day and there are the terrors that we consider at night. In fact, there's probably people here who experience night terrors. What the author of the psalm is doing here is, is using the two ends of the spectrum, night and day and everything in between to paint a picture of, for us of the kind of protection that we have. This picture of security continues in verses 7 and 8. The Bible says in verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side. 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Now, that's a pretty vivid picture, isn't it? It's almost, the, it's almost the picture of a person in battle and there are people dropping left and right all around them and they themselves remain untouched. And as I read that, this is the image that it brought to my mind. It brought the image to my mind of Winston Churchill in World War II. And I, I read a biography of Winston Churchill last year, and something about that really struck me. It covered the years in World War II leading up to the United States entering the war. And it, it talks about, it explains the time where, where England is under attack by Germany all the time. Germany is, is trying to, to spread their footprint throughout that area of Europe. They're trying to reach, reach further and further and further. And one of the things that they did to, to try to weaken England was to, to bomb them at night. And they didn't just bomb them a couple of nights. They didn't just bomb them for a week. They bombed them for eight straight months. 40 to 45,000 people died 
in these bombings. Not soldiers, not people who are engaged in the conflict, but just ordinary, everyday people trying to live their lives through London and the surrounding regions are, are getting bombed all the time, and thousands of them died. One of the things that the biographer points out about, about Churchill is that he taught the English people how to be fearless because you want to you think about when is it time to surrender? Well, you might think two, three months into this, we're losing civilians like crazy. We are unable to repel these bombers, we're not, we're not, we're, they have systems that are allowing them to do this at night. The, the English Royal Air Force wasn't able to, to cope with this attack. And so they basically just had to take it. Night after night after night. The biographer points out that, that Churchill wanted to show the people what it meant to be fearless, but it wasn't just an act. I mean, all of us have, have put on the fearless act for the people around us so that everybody else is, is afraid, but we, we want to act like we're, we're cool, even though inside we are very much afraid. But one of the things that this biography pointed out that I'll never forget is that when everybody would head down to the bomb shelters at night, and there were bomb shelters everywhere, people would head down to the bomb, sh- bomb shelters, Churchill would instead go up he would stand on the roof against the advice of all of his aides and all of his security. He would stand on the roof and just watch London get bombed. And he did it all the time. And it drove the people around him crazy. But that's the imagery that this psalm paints for us is people, bombs falling, people falling left and right and, and us still standing And if that wasn't bold enough, the next verses are even more bold. Look at verses 9 to 13. It says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, which is a type of snake. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Now that sounds great, doesn't it? Sign me up for that. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. Yes, check. I would like that plan. No plague come near your tent. Check. I would like to sign up for that as well. Angels guarding you in all your ways. Check. Uh, uh, treading on the lion and the adder. Trampling the lion and the serpent underfoot. Check, check, check. I want all of that. Sign me up. These verses paint quite the picture of protection for those who run to God For shelter. 
But there comes a point as we're reading through this, and remember I said the author of this psalm, it's almost like he's, he's dealing images like cards again and again and again and again, just stacking these images on top of each other, which are painting a picture for us of the shelter that is available to in God, uh, available to us in God, and yet we have to ask ourselves the question, how do we square these promises with our experiences? Because I don't know about you, but I've had some stuff in my life that seems like evil befalling me. (laughs) In fact, one of the authors writing on this psalm says that it is both triumphant and troubling. It is triumphant because it guarantees that God will be our guard and guide through the evils of this life. It is troubling because it seems to be based on an unworkable theology. I love the idea of no evil happening to me. But evil seems to be very much alive and well in the world in which we inhabit it, inhabit. Some of you perhaps know the story of five missionary families that went to uh, the uninhabited almost reaches of Ecuador to reach uh, an indigenous people there with the good news of the gospel. If you don't know the story, there were Five couples, all of them had, I think, more than one child, so there were several children involved in this, and they, God was moving in their hearts to reach a people who were unreached by the good news of Jesus. And so they packed up everything they had, and they moved their young families, and they left behind the safety and the security and the shelter of everything that we have here And in the 1950s, before there was satellite internet and anything like that, they went to the jungles of Ecuador. And they're setting up, they're trying to set up living arrangements in a place where they don't have running water and they don't have electricity and they don't have even any of the things that you could now have in remote places. And they're trying to establish contact with a people group who is known to be both violent and at times cannibalistic. And so they, are, they have a strategy for how they are going to try to make contact with these people. And they're, they're dropping things over this area to try to show uh, there's a connection between the plane and the gifts. And eventually they're going to try to fly the plane in and land and, and make contact with these people whose language they don't even speak. And finally the day comes after all of these efforts and all this work, finally the day comes when they land that plane, just five of the men land the plane on a sandbar deep in the jungles, they step out of the plane and immediately are speared to death. It's over already. All that expense to gather support to move five families to the middle of nowhere so they can set up house to get a plane over there. 
all the work that's, that, that has gone into this endeavor, and it's game over before they even start. Five widows, children without their dads. One of those widows, her name was Elizabeth Elliot. One of those widows wrote a biography of her husband who was, was immediately killed after stepping out of the plane. And do you want to know what she had the audacity to title her book? Elizabeth Elliot had the audacity to title her book about her dead husband, Shadow of the Almighty. And I read the title of that biography, and you and I know what happens to them, and we might want to ask her, did you read the psalm? Because the psalm says, no evil shall befall you. And your husband and your friend's husbands are all dead, so now you're widows in the middle of nowhere raising a family. I'm no genius, but that doesn't exactly look like the fulfillment of all these promises. So what are we supposed to do with this? How are we supposed to reconcile the fact that evil is very much alive and well and that bad things very, very often do happen with these promises that the psalm gives us? I don't have all the answers for that. But I'd like to suggest that it might be helpful to view this psalm through the experiences of Jesus. I'm going to tell you why I think it would be helpful for us to view this psalm through the lens of Jesus' experiences. If you were with us last week, we talked about the fact that we, we talked about the way that Jesus helps us in temptation, and that one of the reasons Jesus is able to help us in temptation is because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2 that he was tempted as we have been tempted, and so he's able to help those. And one of the biggest examples of Jesus' temptation in Scripture is found in Matthew chapter 4. Remember, Jesus has gone to withdrawn himself to the wilderness to pray. He's been fasting for 40 days. And at the end of that time period, it's where Satan, the tempter, comes. And, and what does Satan do when he tempts Jesus? Three temptations he gives them. Each one of them is Satan using the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Satan takes the scripture twists it, and then speaks it to Jesus. And do you recall that one of the scriptures that Satan uses to tempt Jesus is contained in this psalm? Satan comes to him and invites Jesus to cast himself off the tallest spire of the temple because after all, verse 10 uh, verse 11, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Verse 11, on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus refuses. 
He quotes scripture back to Satan, telling him not to put the Lord to the test. What Jesus is, in essence, saying, and the way he responds to Satan's temptation, is that this psalm does not necessarily make a promise of invincibility. No matter what happens, you can't be killed. The cross should make that obvious, right? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, you remember that he was mocked? And you remember specifically how Jesus was mocked. As Jesus is hanging there, his life's blood draining from him as he is gasping for breaths that are coming that are getting harder and harder to come by, there are people mocking him saying, he trusts in God, let him deliver him now. And when people say that, they were essentially saying, if you say you trust in God, isn't he supposed to be delivering you from this kind of stuff? That's, that's the mockery. You say you trust in God, God's supposed to make this stuff not happen. I think we think a version of this. If I trust in God, shouldn't he be protecting me right now? What did I do? And the answer of the prosperity gospel is, well, you didn't have enough faith. If only you had had more faith, if only you had sown that seed, if only you had financially supported the ministry, if only you had done this or done that, then, then that promise would have been activated for you. Well, Jesus was a lousy believer then in the prosperity of the gospel because there he is hanging on the cross I think Jesus' experiences challenge us to think a little more deeply about this psalm. This psalm doesn't promise that we are invincible. It doesn't promise that God's going to prevent calamity in every instance I think it does provide some assurances to us that it is impossible for us to die before our time. I mean, Jesus has the cross looming in the horizon of his life at every moment, and yet when he faces danger and there are people who wish to take his life from him at numerous times, he removes himself from those situations. So he's not, he's not foolhardy. He's not climbing up the temple and casting himself off. We are, in a sense, invincible until our time. Our time is in God's hands. God knows the moment and the way each one of us are going, we are going to pass from this earth. And one of the things Jesus himself told us, what, told us or, or asked us was, who of you, by worry, can add a single hour to his life? Now, I know some of you are champion worriers, 
And if, if anxiety could add an, uh, a year to your life, you would be able to live to see the Jaguars win a Super Bowl <laughs> in the next century. But just think about it. All of the energy that we spend worrying about ourselves and about our well-being, and it doesn't add a second. I'm just think about that. Now, I'm not saying as human beings that we aren't ever filled with fear, or that we shouldn't be fear- filled with fear, or that we're ever that 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 we're ever we're going to be able to glide through life and just not be anxious about anything. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that Jesus tells us, think about. What you expend your mental, physical, emotional energy on and consider the fact that it does not increase your life by a moment. So is it really worth investing all of that in something that gives you heartburn at the end of the day and not much more? Our, our times are in God's hands. We literally can't die until it's time for us to be taken. But even beyond that, that's a, a smaller aspect of this, even more than that, as we look at it through the lens of Jesus, I think it challenges us to take a longer view on what shelter really looks like. Oftentimes, I find myself, and perhaps you find yourself, we are zoomed in too tight. So shelter looks like this situation right here getting fixed. Shelter looks like a call back from the doctor that says that health scare, everything's fine. But the doctor calls back all the time and says it isn't fine. And if we're zoomed in too narrowly to that, we're asking ourselves the question, well, what kind of shelter is God now? The widow of a man who was speared to death trying to tell people about Jesus, didn't apparently see any contradiction in naming her book Shadow of the Almighty. I find that absolutely fascinating. What I find even more fascinating is that in that book, she doesn't reference Psalm 91 even one time. She doesn't write the book and say, hey... I know I titled my book Shadow of the Almighty, but my husband got killed. But here's what I mean by that. She doesn't even reference it. She describes all of those experiences, even the loss of her husband, as living under the shadow of the Almighty. Which means she knows something we don't know. 
she understood that the Bible never promised we wouldn't suffer or die. She had written down the, the famous quote from her husband's journal, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That quote, which her husband said at one time or wrote in his journal at one time, captures for us something that Jesus said. Because Jesus says anybody who wants to, to, to keep their life is going to lose it. And he said the people who are going to lose their lives are going to find them. Which means Jesus knows something we don't know. It means Elizabeth Elliot understood something maybe we don't understand. We become so myopic and so, so narrow-minded trying to grasp at just the little speck of our existence that we can see right now. That we forget to zoom out and see our lives in light of eternity. Jim's widow understood that even when we do suffer, we are sheltered in the shadow of the Most High. The eyes of doubt look at that sandbar and see a dead man floating in the face of the water. The eyes of faith see a man who's just found shelter. The psalm ends with the voice of God speaking into this. And God understands that it's hard for us to put these things together. And it's, it's hard for us when we're scratching and clawing for what we have, afraid to lose what we have. He understands our inability to, 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 zo to zoom out and see that I've got to actually, that there's something paradoxical going on here. And that if I want to find life, I've got to be willing to let it go. And so there's a promise to those who run to God for shelter found in verses 14 to 16. And this, this promise is put in the mouths of God as the mouth of God himself. Verse 14 says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Notice the, notice the promises that are just made one after the other. I'll deliver him. I'll protect him. I'll answer him. I'll be with him. I'll rescue him, honor him, satisfy him, show him my salvation. I mean, the, the, the promises are flying thick and fast now. But notice even what the Bible says in verse 15. Even this, the author of this psalm understands the tension because and the, the, we, we hear the, the voice of God saying, I will be with him in trouble. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you help me skip it. That's not what it says. I would love it if, that would it, if that's what it said. If there was a divine helicopter that dropped in, picked me up, and I could skip to the good part. No, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. God promises I will be with him in trouble. So where are you going to run when trouble comes? Where are you going to run when the doctor calls and everything isn't fine? Where are you going to run when that family situation is irreparably, 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 it's a hard word to say, irreparably broken. The psalm encourages us with this simple truth. God's people need to find shelter in the shadow. The highest towers cast the longest shadow. And how does the Bible describe God in those first two verses? He's not just the high. He's the most high. We talk about being in someone else's shadow as being a bad thing. or We talk about being overshadowed or we're, we're overlooked, somebody else's accomplishments. And so we want to get out of somebody else's shadow. But let me tell you, friends, this is one shadow you want to be in. And you want to stay in this shadow because this shadow is your shelter. So let me ask the question this morning, where do you find shelter? Maybe there's somebody here this morning who's not a Christian, not even sure what that means. And you have run yourself ragged trying to build a shelter for yourself. Maybe there's somebody here this morning, and when you think about the, the promises that the Bible speaks of, of God's judgment towards sinner, you're, you're trying to find shelter in the fact that I'm a pretty good person. My neighbor's way worse than me. Can I just tell you, none of the shelters we construct for ourselves are ultimately sufficient. You can't build a big, a big, big enough safety net. And when it comes to your standing before God, you are in grave danger. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the good news that people like Jim Elliott died to tell other people they'd never met is that our Savior came and offered himself as a sacrifice, he bled out with people saying, you trusted in God, what about this? 
He gave his life so that people like me and people like you could be rescued from our sin. And you can be forgiven of your sin. You can be rescued this very morning if you will turn to Christ in faith and repent of those sins and put your faith in him. To those of us who are Christians, I believe that many of us pay lip service to God as our refuge, our shelter, our fortress. But I don't think it would be unfair to say that perhaps many of us functionally live outside the shadow. And the reason I think it would not be unfair to suggest that many of us functionally live outside of the shadow is because think of all the things in which you find shelter. We find shelter in our preparedness. We find shelter in an insurance policy that will take care of everything. We find shelter in a savings account that, can, that is enough to handle anything that gets thrown our way. We find shelter in the fact that we live in a good neighborhood with good schools. We find shelter that we, in the fact that we have access to high-quality health care. We find shelter in our own achievements. We find shelter in the fact that we will get the right people in the right political offices. And I tell you that all of those things are good in their place. But not one of those things is a sure bet. And there's people in this room who've lost it all in one or more of those things that would be glad to tell you. I'm not saying that those things can't be God's good gifts. If God has given any of those things to us, if God has given those things to us in abundance, and he has, those are a means of God providing for us. But if you can sleep at night because you know the bank account is stacked and the insurance policy is paid up, and the kids are going to get a good education tomorrow. If that's what helps you sleep. And functionally, my rest is not in the shelter that God provides. My shelter is built on the uncertainties of this thing I'm zoomed into. And so we thank God for those things. But at the end of the day... Those things aren't the shadow. God is the shadow. And if you're going to find the kind of shelter that this psalm promises, it's going to have to start with an acknowledgement of your own weakness and smallness. It's going to have to, to, to start, it's going to force you to admit your utter dependence. It's going to make you have to wrestle with hard truths, promises of 
shelter, the realities of living in a broken world, and a Jesus who says, if you're going to find your life, you've got to let it go. But when we come face to face with the futility of our own efforts, we start to find security in those moments. A man by the name of Henry Francis Light wrote a beautiful meditation on this psalm called, There is a Safe and Secret Place. I'm going to read a little bit of that to you as we close this morning. It says, There is a safe and secret place beneath the wings divine, reserved for all the heirs of grace. Oh, be that refuge mine. The least and feeblest there may bide, uninjured and unawed, while thousands fall on every side. He rests secure in God. A hand almighty to defend, an ear for every call, an honored life, a peaceful end, and heaven to crown it all. Let's pray together and ask God to help us believe that. Lord, we want to pray a prayer of confession this morning and recognize that we find our safety and security and shelter in, in the gifts that you've given us often. And fail to, to root our ultimate secure, security in the giver. But we want to ask you to help us to see with new eyes. We want to ask you to help us see what Jim Elliot was able to see, willing to see as he stepped out of that plane into the face of danger. We want you to give us the eyes to see that his wife and widow could see when she wrote his story and titled it Shadow of the Almighty. We want you to give us the eyes to see what Jesus told us. When we lose our lives, we actually find them. Lord, if there is someone here this morning who does not know Christ, and I pray that they would find shelter in him today, that they would humble themselves and turn in faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.